Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Um, and again, we want to we want to be in the summer series, and, and you know we're here in Psalms, uh, and we've entitled this one "Looking Up When I Feel Down," and and as as you know, as I've confessed before, um, I don't connect with Psalms as much as many of you do, and you find it a rich blessing. Um, Johnny Erickson taught us, I think, said it best. When she talked about the Psalms, and she said, the Psalms wrap nouns and verbs around our pain better than any other book. Um, So to preach emotionally is a necessity. And I know that that that's a weakness in my life. I really enjoy the dynamic of, of the of the interaction between the characters of the Bible and God on high. Um, Let me give you an example. Abraham has a chance to take and and feed God and two angels. Um, God sends two angels off to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And God and Abraham begin to barter, if you will, for Sodom and Gomorrah. God, you wouldn't kill everyone in, in this city. You wouldn't judge this city if there were 50 righteous believers. And God says, no, you're right. And it's as almost as if Abraham is taking this personal dynamic. This is his family. Lots there. Lots wives there. Uh, lots, lots girls are there. I can't let this happen. And, and you know the story. He barters God all the way down to 10. And he and God go away. Well, you know what we're never privy to? We're never privy to what was going on between the ears of Abraham. I want to suggest to you, Abraham knew exactly what he was doing. And yet at the same time, there was a little piece of him going, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm doing it. I'm talking to God and I'm actually bartering. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Uh, there has to be a little fear going on, a little trepidation going on. We're never privy to that. We're only privy to this moment in time that, if you will, let me call it the Emmanuel moment. God with us in a very personal, dynamic way. And I love those moments in Scripture. And that's where I find the richest blessing. Some of you find it in an emotional connection. And it's very important that we see that whole counsel of God. And so as we we come into this, I think it's important for me to recognize what some of you connect with so that together we may look at the whole counsel of Scripture and then appreciate everything written within it. Um, Johnny also said this, she says, subdue your heart to match your circumstances. And I think that that's a a marvelous balance there. Um, Johnny Erickson, quadriplegic, all that she's accomplished will tell you that there have been times where she has been forced, just because of the anxiety within her own being, to take an antidepressant for a period of time 
gain, gain the spiritual resources that she needs, and then get back in a walk with the Lord. She'll be the first to tell you that, and I think that it's a wonderful reminder for all of us together of the richness of Scripture. And sometimes in those times of vulnerability that we desperately need the Most High God to have work and power in our lives and to admit, boy, what's going on between my ears isn't all that it should be. And so the Psalms give us that idea. And, and we have picked a new 10. And I'm quite excited for this. Um, and I, if you'd like to read book two in its entirety, chapters 42, or Psalm 42, all the way to Psalm 72, and, and, and see what might be your 10. Um, I gave this same challenge to Kevin, knowing that Kevin would preach uh, some of the summer series. Do you know that together, without any conversation, we picked out seven out of the 10 in partnership without ever knowing what either we're going to pick. So you may find that you pick a number of the same ones that we're going to go through throughout the summer. But I want you to understand what, what glued this to me um, it was the title in Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, uh, this is a mascal written by the sons of Korah, it says. Um, and it gives us insight into the mind of these men because they're not choosing to give up even though they have an emotional struggle right now. They're, they're depressed, and if we can, let's call it a spiritual depression. But we're given privy to examining their feelings as they pushed forward. And we see that their feelings can be best summarized in the last part of verse 11. He simply says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Family, the paradigm, life is going to take a radical altering in their, in their lives and their existence. And yet they still look down and said, we're going to put our hope in God. He is my salvation. And almost more importantly than my salvation, He is my God. I reflect on the man Korah. Uh, Korah gives us one of the most notorious moments in all of Scripture, and Korah himself, the notorious individual. Korah is identified as a family leader. And after the Israelites rejected going into the promised land, in the book of Numbers, God punishes the entire family of God by saying, you will not go into the promised land for the next 40 years. You will be judged. And within weeks of this, there is a rebellion. And that rebellion is led by Korah and two other men. And family, we have a, we have a picture of that rebellion 
in Numbers chapter 16, uh, verses 8 through 11. And I want you to, to hear the core of the story and the rebellion. It says, you have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing that you, or for you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them? Family, just, just to step back for a minute, it was, it was Korah who was part of the Levitical family, and Korah's family specifically was given the privilege of carrying the most holy things, including the Ark of the Covenant, wherever they went. So th these men, outside of the chief priest, have phenomenal privilege spiritually. And he says, is this a small thing? He then continues, therefore, it is against, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together what is Aaron that you grumble against him? In other words, this isn't an issue between Moses and Aaron and you. This is, a, this is an issue between your rebellion and me, God on high. So if you will, God's ticked, and Korah is the, the very point of the spear. And if you know the story, God tells Moses to tell the people to separate from Korah and separate from these other two who are leading the rebellion against God on high. And as you read it, one of the most incredible moments in human history as the ground opens up and swallows Korah and these other two. And they disappear. What must it have been like to stare at that what must it have been to sit there and think of the power and the authority of God at that very moment? So, family, Korah's family seemingly takes the incident to heart and used the family name uh, as a challenge to them not to fail in his behavior. And so we find a lot of the characters, we find this now, the sons of Korah who are here, they, are, they have been given the assignment to be the worship leaders there at the temple. And we find them to have a key position. Samuel, earlier on, is a son of Korah, and his family line is directly in tide. So these men use this. And for you and I just to have some level of connection, if Adolf Hitler had left a family the family would have looked down and said, you know, we're going to take the moniker Sons of Hitler as a constant reminder never to fall into the trap of anti-Semitism, never to fall into the trap of megalomania, never to fall in the trap of being despotic and carrying on our authority as unique and leading to the world destruction that we had. We're going to be called forever the sons of Hitler to remember that we will never fall trap. And we find the sons of Korah now seemingly over and over again in positive roles taking on positive privileges. 
of worship to the Most High God. So, this is all about their spiritual depression. And so I want you to see, as we studied this morning together, in Psalms 42, there are four ways that these godly men deal with their spiritual depression. Ways meant to shape how we deal with our own seasons of darkness. So I want to read the entire Psalms or the entire psalm in its fullness. And if you will join me, as we see on the screen this morning, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, and while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, of, the, of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So family, Let's, let's join in together this morning and, and recognize that there are periods of time we may, we may be fake and phony on the outside. We may have this confidence in God that we're just telling everybody, oh, all is great. My God is doing a great thing in my life and I'm moving forward. But between our ears, there is a deep darkness, a, a spiritual depression that we debate will we ever really get out of? And so let's use these godly men and what they experienced as we now jump into their song that expresses what they, what they are also then experiencing. And I want to suggest to you the first of these four is there has to be a thirst for God on our part. A thirst for God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Family, we don't know exactly where the author was when he wrote this, but we have an idea that trickles out of the Psalms in verse 6. It says this, From the land of the Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Well, let's walk backwards. From the land of Jordan. We already know that that's north from Jerusalem. 
Uh, anyone who has, has recognized the, the fighting of current events knows that Jordan is over here. Jordan back then would have covered Syria and north of the Jordan River, the Sea of Galilee area. They are up north. They are already to the extreme edge of the Israeli border, and there's two milestones that they see in this territorial movement. Number one, they see Mount Hermon. And they know and seeing in Mount Hermon, one of the last images to the very border of Israel itself. Then last, then secondly, they say Mount Mazar. Mount Mazar means little mountain. I have no clue, and no one else does either, of what Mount Mazar is. It's just, just disappeared in history. But if you will, these men are on the northern border of Israel. My suggestion would be, if you know, they are being taken as castoffs by Babylon. These are captives who are now being removed from the country. They no longer are, are going to be allowed to be in Israel. They are heading off as Babylonian captivities, or excuse me, captives, never to see Israel for years to come. And only if they are young enough to be able to go off in old age. They're going to never see this land again. And so, if that's true, what comes out of this is a recognition that the paradigm is going to be changing in their lives. And they're pleading with God, let, let us see that you stay close. Now I want you to understand, he's not saying that God isn't with them. After all, he's praying to God, right? We, we, we see this. This is a prayer that he's making. But the temple has a unique presence and fellowship to be in relationship with the living God. And let me remind you, from the very time of the earliest moment of the relationship as it comes out of Egypt with God and the Israelis, you've had one constant image that reflected itself as the presence of God. We had what was called the Shekinah glory. Cloud by day, flame by night, and you could look down and say, the presence of God is here. Even though God was omnipresent, there was a, there was a, a sense of his presence within the very middle of the camp that then showed itself first in the tabernacle as they built the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. And the Shekinah glory goes into the tabernacle. We see that continued on so that it, it has presence. And then Solomon builds the temple, and the Shekinah glory enters the very temple of God. And forever, these worship leaders now are recognizing that we're being drawn away from the temple. We're drawn away from the presence of God. We no longer are able to lead in music. We're no longer allowed to, 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 to be the ones who draw the entire congregation of Israel into worship before the Most High God. And we are heading off into Babylonian captivity never to have this privilege again. So family, I want you to understand that they recognize that he's there in their lives. And yet, 
They want to have that sustaining sense of feeling His presence. Their depression may also be made more acute because they lack purpose. Remember, if they're worship leaders at the temple and they're never to be at the temple again, their very life purpose has been pulled away from them. And family, you and I go through seasons of that. As a younger man, 1980, I watched my community be devastated. Three of the largest employers in my county went down within six months of one another. Unemployment ran somewhere close to 30% of my community. And I can just tell you, Sunday morning worship had a pall over it because all of these men who no longer have jobs lacked purpose. For them, the, the passing of the offering plate, to them meant failure. To them meant lack of purpose. To them meant an insignificance of partnering with what God was doing within their church. And what it meant to them, they were letting down everybody else. You may be experiencing lack of purpose. And we have those periods in our times. Family, one of the first is, is we go through that, that wonderful stage that we joke about, the empty nest. Some of you will look down, especially moms, and go, man, what do I do now? I've just raised all these kids. Now, for Kathy and I, it was much like the words of Martin Luther. As Martin Luther King said, free at last, free at last. <laughs> Praise God Almighty, I'm free at last. But some of you don't have that. And you look down and go, okay, what is my new life going to look like? Some of you are going to have it in retirement. You, you, you have identity. This is what I do and this is what I did. And then comes that day that you're drawing Social Security and you now look down and go, what do I do? How do I get meaning in my life? Some of you are going through an illness that, that changes every issue of your life. You are no longer capable of independence and dependence is now a chief part of what you're experiencing in life. And you look down and say, man, what do I do? This is terrible. So the spiritual depression can be enhanced by all of that sense of lack of purpose, lack of identity, especially when it comes to spiritual. What am I going to do to please and honor and serve the King of Kings. And for them, if they're being pulled from this, there is no chance to be at the temple again. There is no chance that, that they're going to have the ability to use the very things that made them the men that they are. And they recognize that they've got to change their life paradigm, and yet they were never going to change their thirst and their hunger to connect with the Most High God. Family, I want you to notice, secondly, they recognized that they wanted to, to stay close to the Lord as they fought spiritual depression, and it was very important for them to drown out the noise. Drown out the noise as those who are now their captives are saying, 
Where is your God? They recognize the torment, and as you read through the passage, you sense these, these overwhelming moments all over again where they're being taunted, they're being teased, that their God wasn't capable, their God failed them, their God let them down. And what I want you to see is, is, is go back first in a little history. Let's, let's recognize that. There was no such thing as an atheist at the time of the psalm. That, that there's no such thing that we have until really a modern invention. Uh, the Greeks were probably the first ones to, to suggest that there might not be any leader. But there was no such thing as an atheist back then. Uh, you had a cultural God. You had an ethnic God. You had a city God that explained himself. And you have that moment over and over again within the Bible. Do you remember those characters? Do you remember the, the contest with Baal in 1 Kings 18? Baal snuck in, if you will. Asherah snuck in to the Israeli community, and they were constant scourges. You saw the god Chemesh, he is mentioned, and Chemesh and Milcah, gods who demanded human sacrifice along with Baal. And we would have them worshipped throughout the rest of the world. We have the god Dagon to the Philistines. We have the god Dagon again all the way up in Assyria. We have these cultural gods, and one of the great things that they did is, is much like a child talking about his parents, my parents are stronger than you are, ha 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 You have this taunt, and when, when one culture captured and defeated another culture, you have that idea that their God is greater. And that's what's going on here, but today you and I live in a time of atheism. And so what are we going to be attacked and haunted? We're going to be attacked and haunted every time that the community and the world does not see God taking care of us in the way that the world thinks that we should be taken care of. So when our health and wealth is, is frustratingly lacking, where is your God? The community wants to know. He should be doing better than this to take care of you. When, when Christians' leaders and Christians fail to live up, where is your God? And the taunt is quite natural. And sometimes the failure is really brought on because they themselves are no longer strong in Christ, but they also are experiencing spiritual depression, and it's leading to a walking away. And so it's very important that you and I recognize the importance of drowning out the noise as we walk with Christ. That we don't, we don't get caught up with what everyone else is accusing Christianity of or reminding them that CBC is filled with hypocrites. Understand, I am so glad that we are filled with hypocrites. Do you know why? It is the recognition of the power of the cross. You and I know that you and I can't stay 
perfect. We know one another. We, we, we know our, our insecurities. We know our successes. We know when we fail. We recognize that. And so to call you or to call me a hypocrite would be a very, very natural thing because you will never hear from Pastor Pete, I've made it 20 years so far without sinning. You'll never hear that. And if you ever do, ask Kathy. She'll know it's not true. Even when you don't. So it's very important from time to time that we just simply drown out the noise. We are not going to believe. We are not going to let a, a, others affect us, especially when we're going through that dark time where we can't connect with the Most High God. Our prayers just don't seem to rise above the ceiling. We drown out the noise. We don't want any part of it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 would say it this way, just as a reminder. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so family, hope is found within a logic and, and, and an awareness of the truth claims of Scripture. They're not just simply pulled out. We recognize that in the Gospels, Peter and John ran into an empty tomb. When they ran into an empty tomb, they ran into an empty tomb because a number of women had already seen Jesus. And they said, Jesus is alive. And debating whether that was true or not, they ran into the empty tomb. But family, the impact of, of those early ones had, Paul could write almost 30 years later, 1 Corinthians 15, and talked about the power of the witnesses that Paul himself had a chance to sit down and dialogue with and talk to and, and, and now gain perspective and write. And he says, as if that wasn't enough, I saw him on the road to Damascus. And so family, we're, we're left with a document that reminds us wonderfully that the truth claims of Scripture are exactly what they are, truth claims, and our hope is based on a much more firmer foundation than anything we could imagine. And so our hope can drown out the taunts and the chiding remarks of those who are around us that don't follow Jesus Christ. Thirdly, I want you to notice that they found solace, they found strength when they remember the past when they remember the past. Family, the author here reminisces in verse 4 about his ministry, his leadership, his worship, and his praise in the temple. Now, I don't believe this is mere nostalgia. This isn't a bunch of senior citizens sitting down and going, I remember when I walked uphill to school both ways. All right? This isn't nostalgia. This isn't remembering when it was good and easy. This is recognizing the successes that they were a part of. The author here is confirming his faith in the middle of discouragement by reflecting how real God was in his past life work. Family, for, for us, when we go through those times, I think it's important, recount how many prayers 
God answered throughout your life up to this point. Recount how many times you can't have an answer other than God answered the quiet reflecting, the pleading within your own heart. Family, remember the people God used to mature you. Often you come back and you remember a mentor that really helped you to walk along in the faith and, and, and pointed out the Savior Jesus Christ in a significant way. Stop and think about the worship moments that were significant to you. Some that helped you to see God. Maybe when you were even experiencing the spiritual depression that the very writer is addressing. And family, that, that was true for, for certainly me when Kathy and I went through the loss of our son, which I've used as a constant backdrop of my ministry. There was at least twice in this period of time. Peter's going through this, this death process. And once in seminary, once for Sunday morning worship, the song leader asked us to sing. And he starts off, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all the folly of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. Now. Little boy's dying. Now. I, I want all of that more than what I'm experiencing. More than what's breaking my heart. More than what's doing anything to unravel who I am. I want the salvation that freed me from my sin. That's what's important for me. And what you and I go through these moments, these dark times, when spiritual depression is a hard reality, I would suggest to you, come back to the past. What gave you victory? What gave you refreshment? What gave you encouragement throughout your young and maturing spiritual life? Grab on to those. Hold them. Remember what teachings that Scripture gave that was vital to you. Don't lose the power of the past because of the cloudiness of the present. Let me suggest fourth. You ready? Preach to yourself. You don't need Pastor Pete, Pastor Kevin, podcast, your favorites. Don't, you don't need anyone. You don't need, you don't need an ABF leader. You don't need a community group leader. You don't need anyone who can open God's word and teach, though, with the spiritual gift of teaching. You have the Holy Spirit, and you have God on high. Preach to yourself. Just as the last verse doesn't distract or does, does not address nostalgia, verse 5 isn't a pep talk. He says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Family, the author addresses his feelings. He's depressed. And he expresses the cause. He is far from home. What's your cause? Depression's source is mind-boggling. If I was to give you just a quick, short list, spiritual depression can come from a variety of sources outside your spiritual walk. Abuse. You may have been mistreated a long time ago. You may have been mistreated recently. Age. The older people get, the more struggle that they have with depression. Conflict medications, grief, gender. We do not know why, but statistically, more women struggle by almost two to one over men in the area of depression. And hear me out, men, don't be a pain in the neck. If you're ever mate or your loved ones are going through a time of depression, encourage them. Genes, some of it is just simply in our family history, we are bent that way. Serious illness, some of you have demands on you altering every issue of your life. So the author identifies his. Oh, I'm, I'm never going home again. I'm on, the, I'm on the top border of Israel. I'm not anywhere near Jerusalem. This is killing me. To hope in God battles spiritual depression. And family, hope is anticipating what God will do. Even though you don't understand how God's going to answer your prayer, what God's going to do, you just look down and say, you know, to know that He's going to answer in some way that I have no clue about is going to be sufficient enough. I'm simply going to wait and hope and trust that He's going to answer the way He wants to answer. Romans chapter 4 talks about that Abraham character that we looked in the beginning of the sermon. He says this in, in verse 18 of chapter 4. It says, In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Family, please understand the incredible stupidity of Abraham to hold out hope? Can you imagine he is at the dawn of a hundred going, you know, I just know God's going to answer this prayer. I don't have to even think about it. God's going to answer. And he looks over to 90-year-old Sarah. I just know she's going to have a baby. Please understand what 100-year-old man and what 90-year-old lady in your imagination looks down and says, yep, I'm, we're going to have a baby, God promised. And against everything that they see biologically, against everything that they see historically, against everything that they have experienced, they look down and say, because God said it. I don't know how, 
I don't know when, but God's going to give me a baby, and I'm waiting. And so, simply put, these men didn't know how their prayers were ever going to be answered. They just knew God was listening, and God was going to answer. So I want to encourage you this morning, preach to yourself. A songwriter writes as a chorus to one of his songs, Invincible, this statement. Our God is invincible. Within the storm, the faithful one anchors us. He is invincible. Our God is invincible. Within the war, the mighty one fights for us. So family, I don't know where you're at this morning, I don't know if you're caught up in the midst of a if spiritual depression yourself. Please understand, our God is invincible. I don't know if you're on cloud nine this morning and so joyful you can't wait to get up on cloud ten. Please understand, remember your God is invincible. And as we live life into our community, as we pray to have impact on our circle, as we live out life here, please remember, we don't ever have to say, where is, where is our God? Our times of blue may, and we have every right to reflect on that. But remember, you serve an invincible God who redeemed you and sought you out through the blood of Jesus Christ and called you unto himself by the power of the Holy Spirit and he is your hope and he is your answer Father in heaven please take us home this morning possibly a little less blue for those dear God who are, are struggling this morning in in wondering where is God and are hurting because they can't see a picture of the one who deeply and wonderfully cares for them. Father in heaven, I would ask that you would, you would quicken them, encourage them through the Holy Spirit that they may take upon themselves the, these four privileges that the men of Korah we're able to rely on as, as their life experience is, is radically changing. Father, give them the, the, the power as a church family this morning to rely on Psalm 42 that we may gain traction in our lives to be restored and know your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.